This is for the free thinkers, the curious beings that swim upstream, who see possibilities, not problems, that learn from the past, live by the present, and create the future. This is the I Love Ugly Audio Show. Welcome to the I Love Ugly Audio Show. My name's Valentin Nozic, creative director and founder of I Love Ugly. On this episode, we decided to do things a little differently. I sit down with our digital director, Will Munro, who interviews me on this episode. He asked me about 10 monumental stories and events that had happened to the brand over the last 10 years. Some you may have heard of before, and some not. These are some of the most embarrassing, entertaining, uplifting, and challenging times over the last 10 years, both for I Love Ugly and for myself. Whether or not you are new to the brand, you'll find us entertaining and educating. There's a few questions where I go deep and honest, which you can pluck a few gems from to apply to your own business and your life. Also, we want to give our podcast audience a little gift to say thank you for all the support, especially this month for the 10-year collection. So use the code PODCAST, spelled as such, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, at the checkout to get 10% off your order, which also includes you to use that for the 10-year collection. And this is only valid for you guys, the listener. Enjoy the episode. Story number one. The question everyone's been wondering, why wasn't the 10-year anniversary last year? <laughs> Snap. I thought no one would notice. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the reason is just last year we weren't ready. Mm. To be honest, last year was a foundation year. It was rebuilding. We tried to overcomplicate it. We tried to do 10 collaborations across 20 days. And just True. a lot of uh, a lot of the ideas and a lot of the companies which we're working for just couldn't meet the deadlines, mm-hmm. and things were just too manic. And uh, what we wanted to do is just simplify it and do it right and spend the time. So what we did is uh, a lot of since a lot of uh, a lot of the garments which we released for the ten year anniversary were re-releases, we actually had to find some of them. Like a lot of the mm-hmm. garments, as an example, the baseball Frankie shirt. I had to look for that and I found it at an op shop on Ponsonby Road, coincidentally on the front window. True. And, you know, we had to redo that artwork. And uh, it was just a whole bunch of things like that that just slowed things down and took a while. And it's like, okay, we want to do this thing right. We want to do it justice. And rushing it was, it was just going to water it down and make it le- not as impactful as, right. you know, I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather it be released in 2019, although it says 2018, and make it look a little bit weird, yeah. but do it right, rather than rushing it just to have it released in 2018. So that's the, that's the main reason. So did you have any of the collabs lined up? Like, did you begin any of them or? Kind of, a, a lot of the collabs is just gonna start coming out next year and mm. beyond. What I, you know, what you forget, what people don't realize with collabs is they take 12, yeah, 18, sometimes 24 months plus. And in this instance, it's like, you know, to get a whole bunch of different people all aligned in the exact same release month is, is hard. It's yeah. doable, but it's, it's hard. So I think maybe for the 20-year anniversary, we'll start preparing it three years in advance to make yeah. sure that we've, we've got all our ducks in a row. Yeah, yeah. cool. Uh, what's your favorite uh, piece from the collection so far? Favorite piece is the later more Sosa jerseys. Mm. I just reckon it's dope. It's it's a it's not a shirt. It's, it's not a t-shirt. It's just OG, and yeah. then the significance behind it, and the stories behind it, and what it did for the brand, and the time and the era which which we released it, which was November 2013, which a lot of people classify as one of the best collections we'd done. It's just special, man. It's just just dope. It was after going to LA seeing people wearing baseball jerseys in like a kind of street casual context yeah i was like yeah that's that's cool man i want to i want to reinterpret that into an i love ugly an i love ugly way so yeah sosa jerseys at the time of this podcast it will come it will already be out by the time we release it but it's not out yet so yeah true but yeah it'll be cool cool story number two um the infamous website (laughs) hack Uh, we recently released a video talking a bit more about that, but um, let's yeah. share that with the rest of the audience. <laughs> yeah, uh, I had this obsession about getting attention and getting traffic because traffic to the website equals attention, which equals sales. And we we had all the all our KPIs and our goals up on the wall. You know, what do we want to achieve, or how do we achieve? You know, ten. 
10 20, i think it was twenty thousand people to visit the website and for whatever reason there's this like meme going around where people would text you on your phone saying hey bro i've got this this car for sale at a mean price or whatever click here and you get it and you click it and it's like this photo of this big black dude with his thing hanging out and it's just like <laughs> it's just hilarious to see the reactions and the shock of the people that you prank yeah yeah and yeah. um and we were like damn that's pretty funny imagine if um because there's this whole thing about website hacking <coughs> and whatnot going on in the media at the time and we're like imagine if we imagine if we pranked ourselves and hacked our own website and what the attention would be in the traffic so what we did is we designed it all up and I got this image that was going around of that black dude naked with his thing, yeah, his, his dick hanging out. <laughs> and, uh, and I designed it all up, but it looked, too, it looked legit. It looked too, too well designed. So I was like, okay, how can we make this look real shit? And how can we make this look so like good. real bootleg? So what we did is we got, uh, we got Barnaby, <coughs> our ops guy at the time, to design it who couldn't, he can't design yeah, yeah. If, his, if his life depended on it. And he designed the whole thing on Microsoft Word. And I was like, perfect, that's it. I love ugly, can suck my dick. And then we were like, okay, how can we make it even more weird? So we got this picture. I can't remember if there was some, there was some, some milestone or whatever that LeBron James had hit. So we decided to put his face on the website. And then we basically put it on the website. And then um, next thing we did is we sent a message on our social platforms. Please do not go on our website yeah so what do people do when they hear go that the they go on the website next minute you know fifty thousand people had gone on the website uh had gone viral the media was calling me you did you did an article you and you posed for photos talking about that being hacked right as yeah well. yeah we did the whole shebang <laughs> and it caused attention and the whole got the result yeah absolutely my whole you know 2015 was all about attention how can we how can we supercharge this thing and it's all about eyeballs. It's all about people talking about you. It's all about yeah. being top of mind. So we, yeah, we hacked our own website. Looking back now, <laughs> <laughs> honestly, it's, I don't know what I was thinking, but back then I was just young and dumb and yeah, yeah. just did whatever. But the crazy thing I is- I had balls, hence the- yeah, 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 yeah. Excuse the pun. Not everyone knew about it at the time, right? Absolutely like, there not. Was only There's even a few, few staff members that, staff honestly, members. our retail staff didn't even know. It was a head office secret. Yeah, hacked our own website because not many people can get it. And at the time, it's so bizarre that if too many people knew about it, it would get out, it would spread. So yeah, it's only yeah. one of those things which you could look back on four years later. Four, year, four years later or so and just and, and then tell the story because at the time it was it, it was diabolical and that was like two months or so before the ring campaign but that's a that's a different story yeah well <laughs> on that note story number three uh an event that was probably a lot more hectic than that and caused a lot more drama to you and um your life the rings campaign <laughs> oh man that was crazy yeah, yeah, once again, fixated with the attention. We were launching a brand new category, rings. Okay, this is something where a lot of our, a lot of our customer, they, they kind of wanted it, but mm. at the same time, we wanted to kind of go beyond who just knew about I Love Ugly yeah. and wanted to reach new people. How do you do that? It's like cause a stir yeah. in the media. Because the thing is, is like back then, if uh, you know face, Facebook and stuff was in its infancy, and back then, if you could kind of do something that was a little bit provocative, a little bit out there, we go ham. you can get that virality yeah. because there was less people on the f platform. Less Not many noise. people knew how to hack the whole advertising spin and this and that. Mm. And um, and also we were we were also very reliant on media, so like blogs like Heist and Abide yeah, and yeah. Hype Beast and Slamix Hype and whatnot, doing um, you know po po posting it. But uh, we put it up and kind of thought nothing of it a little bit but I'll, but I'll tell you a story before that yeah before i kind of get into the before we released it we um so we had the story i ran it past my mom she thought it was like yeah a little bit a little bit interesting ran it past my wife she thought it was all good ran it past a few female with staff the imagery members. you showed them all the i told imagery. them the concept i showed them okay. the tom ford campaign right. which is just as just as fucking bad and uh you know if it works for them then it should be okay for us it should be but anyway did it got um showed it to a few female staff members they were all cool with it 
did the casting, so we'd have people come in. The thing I was so surprised about it is there were so many steps in the process to, before it went public. Yeah. Nobody said anything. Nobody was yeah. uncomfortable. The agencies which we booked it for. They probably we, all we had were, it in the back of their mind. Yeah, maybe they did, but it didn't seem that way. Yeah. And then we, all, all, the, all the agencies were, were on board. Um, we got all the castings. So there was 10 people that came, 10, 10 women that came through. Yeah, took off their tops and this and that yeah, yeah. and then we i had um i had our marketing manager hannah she was there with me so it wasn't weird but while you're in it you're just in professional mode yeah, yeah and you're like okay you're so focused on the end result and the campaign you don't really care or you don't have any perspective on the mm. on the situation and anyway we did it we shot the campaign we launched it to our distribution channels our um you know of all the blogs and then Honestly, within an hour, boof, <laughs> start to cotton on. You start seeing it on like friends of friends feeds and this and that. And uh, and then hi, it was because oh, it man. debuted on High Snobiety. Yeah. And the title was Not Suitable for Work. I Love Ugly releases a Not Suitable for Work campaign, Sheesh. which is like complete clickbait title. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. it just exploded, man. And then it was like, uh -oh. fuck. Before I knew it, this thing was like in different countries, the US, the UK, Australia. Yeah you know, GQ woman, like the whole shebang. And uh, it was at that point of no return. And then the, I think it's called the ASA or the ADSA, the Ad, Ad Administration mm. um, Authority who basically monitor and audit ads just to make sure that no one's doing anything stupid. Yeah. Um, they got on, in contact with us Jeez. and that's when I knew, okay, I gotta, I gotta pull. Cause I was like, nah, I, after t day, day two and three, started getting like personal mess hate messages. My wife started getting attacked and I was like, okay, shit, this is, uh, this is pretty bad. We better, better pull it. Mm -hmm. But the stupid thing, what we did is we tried to, uh, we tried to <laughs> cover ourselves up by doing the exact opposite, getting yeah. a naked guy with a, a lady, fully clothed lady covering his, his private parts, which was like hilarious, hilarious doing it at the time, like, you know, photographing it. But that just basically poured fuel on the fire. All our customers and all our demographic who are a lot more receptive and a little bit more immune to those types of things and images and whatnot, were all in support of it. But there was a lot of people, a lot of females that were mm. not impressed. And, uh, and it was around November, I believe, you know, a month before. Yeah, that's the busiest time Christmas, of the year. Yeah. A lot of our customers are mums and grandmas and aunties and girlfriends and wives and um yeah it was a bit of a bit of a weird time but we pulled it we apologized it was the most complained about advert advertising campaign in 2015 for that particular organization for ad um administration mm. administrative authority or whatever it's called um so yeah and then after that it was like it was a bit of a bit of a kick in the guts and and then that was the first time when i was like okay I can't just be yeah. ruthless, stupid. I'm at a position now. The brand's at a position now where we actually have to be can't send out yeah. a bit of a positive message and also just be very cautious and careful about if we do do something that's borderline mm. risky or pushing the boundaries, we just need to firstly not ask our mothers and our sisters, but yeah, yeah, yeah. just make sure that we're um, yeah, being responsible. Story number four. Uh, look, the launch of your very first website, there was also a bit of commotion that happened then behind the scenes. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that was, what was that, 2009, I believe? 2009, 2010? But we, uh, so we built our website from scratch on Magento. We got our boy Nikolai, this Russian guy, shout out Nikolai. He built it from scratch for like 100 bucks a week and we were one of the first econ businesses in retail in New Zealand and even like globally in our space we were one of the first which is crazy considering it was what 10 years yeah. less than 10 years ago and so we launched a website it was great success and then um like any fashion business it's inevitable that you need to probably go on sale at some point just because drips and drabs odd sizes here and there but anyway, we decided to go on sale. It was like midnight on a Thursday. And we went on sale and we decided to do, we needed to do a stock, stock take just to make, amend all our stock levels, just to make sure it's not accurate to avoid oversales. 
So what we did is we decided to do the stock take at 11.30 at night, half an hour before we go live. And at this point we were somewhat small, you know, small brand, not much of an audience. That's what we thought anyway. And uh, we, so we did the stock take. While we're doing a stock take, it was midnight and the, the sale went live. It was stupid back then. We just did things, Sales, sale went live. We oversold everything by, I'm talking like 20, 30K. 20 to 30 thousand dollars of just oversell so pretty much we so oversold everything we didn't have and uh we're like fuck what are we going to do at the same time we needed the money mm. but then at the same time we had this problem where people were ordering stuff we didn't have so what we decided to do was just let the orders flow and then since we were manufacturing in new zealand at the time we were like okay let's uh let's just take the orders and we're going to call the customers tomorrow individually every single customer and tell them that there was, I can't remember, a fire or a flood or something. We didn't tell them the truth. We made up, we made up, a, we made up a silly lie and it completely oversold. And then for the next two days, three days, there's three or four of us calling up every single customer saying, hey, such and such, man, so sorry. Um, it's V here from ILU, like creative director or whatever. I love, I love ugly. Um, there's a, fl I think it was a flood. It was more legit. There's a flood yeah. in our webs uh, in our warehouse. All the stock was destroyed, so we're gonna have to get it reproduced. Which that was, that was the truth. Mm. But as a, as a sign <laughs> of our, um, uh, you know, to, to apologize, we'll also throw in a few extra t-shirts. Every single person, and it was hundreds of customers. Yeah. Every single person was like on board and appreciated the call and loved it so we called every single person we got the goods made out in silverdale in auckland um we i think we said it was going to be done in four weeks it probably took about 12 weeks mm. but we got it all made we delivered the the goods we got the t-shirts out the complimentary t-shirts kept and, the customers happy and all was good man and yeah kept the customers happy but man that was looking back i think it was the i don't know why we lied but we had to think of a legitimate <laughs> excuse that looked better than that we oversold. Yeah, <laughs> nobody wants and to hear that. Yeah, and also, also the cool thing was, yeah, just being raw, honest, and transparent, and then us calling them and telling them that we we fucked up. People people appreciated that, mm. and uh, that was yeah, that was a little story of the oversell on the website back cool. in the day. But getting the, the dopamine hit from getting those orders, yeah, especially being launching at midnight. New Zealand time was, that was dope, man. That was like, okay, we're onto something. This online thing's got legs. And um, that's when we started to invest into photography and a customer service agent and, mm. you know, a better inventory management system and things like that. That's when um, the penny really dropped. But that was, um, yeah, that, that was crazy, man. Yeah, that was that's, a cool experience. That's hectic. <laughs> okay, story number five. Not many people would know this, but I Love Ugly actually started as a magazine. Yeah. Called We Love Ugly, correct? <laughs> yeah, correct. Tell us about that. <laughs> yeah, I, so I had this kind of entrepreneurial streak and urge in me when I was at university. I hated university, but what I did like is the freedom and the time to kind of think and experiment. Um, and at that time, I was like, man, I don't give a shit about grades or whatever. I knew I've kind of got some skills. I don't really give a shit. So long as I pass, yeah, I, I'm happy. I was like a straight C, C plus, C minus kind of students. But Things anyway, get degrees. Anyway, I had this dude Sam, and um, he's a mean, amazing drawer. And uh, we're like, bro, like, why don't we just interview artists, which we find on MySpace, and create a little publication MySpace. magazine? Yeah, Shit. MySpace, because he was amazing like that's what i was using it for, for discovering artists for yeah, inspiration yeah. and and anyway we found um yeah we found this little gap where not many people were doing it at the time it was like juxtapose magazine and wooden toy and monster children some cool magazines but nothing kind of boutique and i was just into like graphic layout and illustrations mm. and paper stocks and this and that i wasn't so concerned about the viability of the of the business i just mm. wanted to do something cool and, um, and we're like, why don't we call it like, we love ugly, what that means, fuck knows, it sounds kind of cool and intriguing. And uh, we got a whole bunch, of, whole bunch of artists, we actually made the magazine, got it printed local, locally, probably cost like 50 bucks, <laughs> which means we had to sell the magazine for 100 bucks. Sheesh. And then uh, after that, it's like, this is just ridiculous. This is- Did it go well? Oh, it was just like, 
we we produced it and i don't think we sold any man we just gave them away <laughs> who's gonna buy a 50 dollar 20 page magazine nobody so we found found that out and then um sam quit because the guy that was our first little roadblock yeah it was too hard and i was like i kind of like this we love ugly thing but yeah. we're gonna put it i love ugly and i was I like that's it. pretty cool yeah. for a clothing clothing brand because a lot of these cool illustrations i think still had legs and they're still still something something in that and then i started to apply that into t-shirts and then i love ugly was born from uh from that little magazine so yeah. it was pre it was pretty cool and i was like also this is a far more viable business model where it doesn't yeah. i can i can do one print because yeah. i was an illustrator at the time i could do one print and i could put it on a hundred t-shirts and i can get paid a hundred times for it rather than needing to do a hundred individual pieces of artwork and get paid for it um, and then I also, you know, obviously had my daughter and, and whatnot, my girlfriend and yeah. I have to be the, be the man, you know, the provider. So that's how I Love Ugly was born. And that's the story of the We Love Ugly magazine. Cool. Probably be worth a bit of money now. I'd probably be able to sell Do it Do you for think you could bucks. find any of them? Possibly. Yeah, I might have it on a CD, CD somewhere. Oosh. Yeah, that'd be pretty, that would be buzzy. I just don't know. Out. Do you know anyone that's got a CD drive? Nah. <laughs> really. I don't even know if an illustrator will be compatible, but. Yeah, I might dig it out, man. That'd be dope. <clears throat> cool. Now, story number six. This is probably one of my favorites. It's going back to around 2015. Uh, the story of you guys making a million dollars and then yeah. losing it all in a year. <laughs> a crazy time, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, crazy time, bro. So that was, the, that was the website hack year, the ring release year, our eyewear collection year, Jansport collaboration year. Um, L LA opening year, Melbourne opening, Sydney opening, man, we were just going ham, bro. We were, it was, it was, was popping this the off. beginning of the downfall. Yeah, of? it was the beginning, bro. So we were, we were going ham. We were, we had sales coming in, money coming in. The analogy I always use, it's like we were given the keys to, to a Ferrari and we just had learned how to drive and we were going a million miles down the freeway so fast we couldn't read the dashboard to know you know if it was a corner approaching we didn't know to read a speed sign so we're hitting quarters corners spinning out you know couldn't read the fuel gauges this and that and and as a result of that man we were just spending money left right and center you know my business partner moved to LA we were, I was traveling to LA four or five times a year I was traveling all over just spending money like it was going out of fashion for most crazy staff parties we hired we hired like mansions on Waiheke with 20 of us, including partners. We had jet skis over there. It was like four day staff benders. It was crazy. And it was also the year where our financial controller left to go pursue a full-time gig at another another company. So it was literally like Going we were- Out of control. Yeah, it was out of control, man. So we, we, we rose you know, very, very quickly, many, many opportunities presenting themselves and uh you know and then you, when you combine growth with inexperience yeah. and no concept recipe for disaster of, of of money you spend a lot of money you make a lot of money you can just spend that money because it's there to spend and um that was yeah, that's pretty much how we spent it bro we spent way too much money on la setting it up without any proof of whether or not the model would work despite having the traffic and the orders coming from los angeles um uh we didn't really focus on profitability it's like i had this thing where profit can always be fixed later we had i think 20 or so full-time staff at the time in the head office every time there's a problem chuck a body of a problem every time we're busy chuck a problem chuck a body of a problem every time we want to you know get big and get the brand famous it's like okay let's hire a pr agency based in new york focusing on all the, the stuff best. that looked impressive but it wasn't mm. important yeah. and um man when you do that eventually that things that's going to stack up and that castle so-called castle that you you're building is built on sand man and that thing is going to crumble quicker than you uh than you can imagine and bro it crumbled man and it wasn't until it wasn't until late 2016 where we had to put in a couple hundred thousand dollars each at the time. Sheesh, um, that's gonna hurt. Where it started to really <coughs> be like, shit, this 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 pro this thing is a is a problem, man. 
big problem. So all the years that we'd spent building it up and spending our money was, was, was coming to an end. And um, That's I, gnarly, think, man. I, th I think LA and the store openings were just the catalyst. That was when it just mm. all went, went south. Yeah, and it was, um, it was fun, man. Like, it was fun. But something in me yeah, knew subconsciously in my gut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you're having like, so much fun. So much fun. Yeah. But then I was like, bro, like, this is, this is almost too good to be true. Yeah. And since I started this business, yeah, I had challenges and stuff. But since we hit a sweet spot, the blue ocean, they call it, where mm. you had a gap in the market where no one is yeah. and you just escalate. Were people talking to you and telling you like from externally being like they can see what's happening? Bro, we had like we had external accountants which were paying, you know, three thousand dollars a month as an advisor chairing us go guys go guys we had we had our banker lending us money like they gave us like they gave us like you know hundreds of thousands of dollars unsecured line of credit with no covenants about what we could and couldn't spend on it so we had everybody praising us because it was it was an anomaly we went yeah. from naught to just under 10 million dollars in five years like it's kind of so it, was, it was a freak show and when you're it's human tendency when you're in the moment and something's going good you think it, or something's going bad you think it's going to last forever in our case everything was going good we had the Midas touch everything we touched turned to gold there's no way and, and, and when you've got no experience and no perspective on uh, about things going wrong there's no way we would have thought about things could go wrong until things started to go wrong and that's when um, that was my first true test of a businessman really and uh it was it was crazy yeah it sounds absolutely mental <laughs> story number seven the iconic product of i love ugly the one that everyone knows the zespi the zespi yeah how did it start where did the idea even come from yeah well ever pretty much since i was like 16 because i'm like i'm not a my body shape's not like a model, you know? I'm not a six foot. <laughs> Most people's aren't. Exactly. Not a six foot skinny kind of, you know, skinny legs, chicken legs kind of dude. And, and I was like, man, I, I was always obsessed with pants. Like I always liked pants, like a mean, a dope cut of pants. And I'd always like hand stitch my denim, which I'd get from wherever, or I'd even buy, or, or even buy or wear my wife's denim, you know? Cause it was like, it had the it had the zips around the ankles so you could get super tapered so you could take it off comfortably and you could put it on uh comfortably you know because you just zip it back up and i was like that's that's pretty dope uh that's a cool idea the zips and then um so i was obsessed with pants and i went to amsterdam for my uh, uh honeymoon and whenever it was um when was that 2000 maybe 2009 10 anyway went to amsterdam and uh, when, in, when in Amsterdam, you know, you get amongst, you get amongst <laughs> the culture. So I was in the coffee shops. I, you know, I was, I, I was smoking weed and trying all the different. So I was like pretty much high, biking around, getting inspired for, for three weeks, eating, eating, eating food. And it was, it was amazing, man. And when you're in that state and you don't think about anything and you're constantly looking for inspiration, your world opens up and you yeah. start seeing things which you didn't notice. And I had this idea in my head about some, like a pair of pants, like com combination of almost chinos, but you know, like kind of like non-denim, mm. like chinos just in a beige kind of cotton with that whole zip, zip feature, which yeah. I got from, which my wife's jeans had. And I was like, man, that would be pretty dope. And I remember I saw, I saw the, like the steesiest dude on a bike and um, this like African, African-American dude. And he had these chinos and this just dope jacket and this Norse projects hat and stuff. And I was like, fuck, man, that's just when the idea just came to me. And I was like, I don't, just Zespi, the word Zespi came, came to my mind. Didn't have any meaning, didn't know what it meant, but it's just like the Zespi pant. So I came back to came back to New Zealand after that after that trip. It was a little bit of a bit of a haze for the first few months, first few months. And then um, I got a pattern maker, uh, this girl Bridget, and I was like, "Hey, this is what I, I I envision." And she did about ten, maybe ten or fifteen or, or somewhat samples, different samples. They were too long, this and that. But eventually we got them perfect, man. They were like bunched. They were in a chino fabric, like little slight sheen. We did them in like coffee colors and beige and black. And we had to zip on the ankles. And uh, they were dope, man. Got them made in New Zealand. 
the original RRP was two hundred and fifty bucks in New Zealand. Damn. And despite that, they went they went ham. hard. They went ham. And then um and then at that point after we sold hundreds of units, it's like, man, we need to take these offshore for better quality and slightly improve them and also improve the price. And then we shifted them to uh shifted them to China. We found an amazing factory who we still work with today. Oh, actually, no, we don't, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, amazing factory in, in Gotham produced. And we created a brand around the Zespi. Yeah. And then we did the comical video clips with Tom Scott from Homebrew. And we had, yeah, my boy Mo, where everybody loved the pants, but nobody could walk in them. Hmm. So it's like, fuck, let's make this mess our message. And we ended up making these comedic videos of Mo trying to walk upstairs in Zespi's. And it almost created a movement and everybody could relate to it. Yeah. Everybody loved the pants. Everyone was yeah. And then and then it came to the point where the word Zespi was almost like that style of pants. So you know yeah. how you've got like um you know like uh like the chino, the chino or the like yeah. yeah, yeah. People thought Zespi. So you started you started having brands saying creating their own Zespi. Their own Zespi, calling it the Zespi. And that's how iconic it became. And even to this day, it's still one of it, it's still one of our top five, top three sellers. Obviously, we've done slight iterations of it. A lot of our customers have grown up, focused on functionality so people can actually walk and ride a bike in it. But, man, it was um, it was pretty cool. So that's how it came mm. about, man. And, I love um, that story. So it all came pretty much popped in the head. The words SB, seeing this dude, came back 10 to 15 different samples and the, the rest <laughs> is history. That's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. So this next story, story number eight, uh, mm. it's also one of my absolute favorites uh, that you've told me personally. And it's kind of you talking around the pinnacle moment when after 2015 and everything started, you know, falling apart and everything. Yeah. But the moment that it all started falling apart and at, at its absolute worst, you did something that I admire so much. You doubled down on yourself, your own personal development. Yeah. And I find it truly inspiring. But can you tell me about like that in that moment, what you did over that, like in the moment when it hit, kind mm -hmm. of the breaking point, and then what you did over the next couple of weeks? Yeah, yeah. Well, pretty much in 2015, despite having this amazing success, I always felt anxiety, and I felt it was uncontrollable, and I didn't feel like I was present or enjoying it. 2016, when shit really started to hit the fan, that's when we started getting the, the calls from the bank breaking covenants, we had liquidators knocking on the door, we had creditors threatening to take us to, to debt and this and that. And then uh, it all started to go really pear-shaped and when we got the letter from the bank, which I've told the story before, we had to pay back for half a million bucks in seven days. And then at that point, I'd, um, at that point I'd already started to delve into this world of personal development because I knew that going from where we were now and sustaining it wasn't about like silly marketing like ring campaigns and this yeah, and that. It was yeah. about sustainability and also the stability of my own mental wellness and my psychology. And I'd kind of delved into this and I got I got into the Tim Ferriss four hour work week. That's when I was like real at my depressed stage. Yeah. And then I also picked up the Tony Robbins Awaken the Giant Within. There's one page great in there. Book. Great I book. Can't, yeah, great book, man. I can't remember. And at that point, bro, I thought Tony Robbins was just this like cheese bag, you know? Yeah. Well, he was, you know, he was on infomercials and it was whack and it just all looked like fake, fake advertising. But I picked it up, man. I was like, damn, this is, this is fucking good shit, man. Yeah. Something in my brain just clicked. Yeah. And then I was, so just to reverse it back. So prior to the 2017 moment where it really hit yeah, the fan, yeah, yeah. I'd already been doing about six, six or 12 months of personal development, kind of getting into it. 2017 was like, man, the moment, this is yeah. the moment. This was like, this is where 99.9% .9 of people run for the hills. Yeah. They either commit suicide, they, uh, they turn into full blown alcoholics or drug addicts, um, or they basically just call it in. They, yeah, they file for bankruptcy. Yeah. And, um, I got to that point, man. I was like, but for some reason, I was like, man, I'm doubling down on my health. I'm doubling down on my psychology. I'm broke as shit. I had like, I'd, I remember one time I saw a homeless dude and I was like, that dude is probably $1 million richer than me right now. Cause that's, I was, I was honestly, I was over a million dollars in the hole with bank debt, 
personal debt, remortgaging my house, all the, all the debt which I had incurred from the business, which I was now personally responsible for because I, I brought out my business partner. And um, man, 2017, bro, I remember when I signed the papers, when I signed to a new bank, because prior to that, I got rejected from six banks. Everyone, literally bank managers laughing at me like, fucking good luck. Do yourself and your family a favor and just cut, just it. cut it, man. And I was like, man, like, I can't, I don't know why, but something was pulling me. And I'd been reading autobiographies and this and that. And every single person that had written those books had at one point in their career or in their life hit this. Yeah. And something was like, oh, V, this is your moment, bro. This is your, this is where you um, either basically sink or swim. And, uh, and for me, I was like, I was like, fuck, I'm gonna, I'm gonna double down. I signed the papers for the new bank. I signed it, I brought out my business partner and I remember driving home, pulling over and thought I was having a, I thought I was dying. I thought, I, <laughs> honest to God, I, I was having a anxiety uh, attack or maybe it was a heart attack, fuck knows. But bro, I, I was dying. I was like, what have I done? I was freaking out, man, because it's almost unnatural for a person to do that, yeah. to, to take on that debt and to turn things around. To take it and on head on as well. Just take it head on, man. And, and, and staff were leaving me, quitting me, stealing from me. People that I thought all my friends were turning on me. There's people now that I was friends with at the time in 2016. Fuck, I didn't even hear from them anymore. I probably will because we're turning around now. But anyway, it was like, it was interesting, bro. And then, um, so anyway, broke as... 2017 toughest year of my life turning things around which everyone deemed impossible and um i was like man this is a game of psycho psychology this is a never another level this is almost spiritual now yeah, yeah. like there's the mechanics and there's certain people that i need to get rid of and certain people that i need to hire but it's all me i was i was the chokehold of the business and all of a sudden i was like i'm to blame i was the reason why it, this thing turned to shit, and i'm going to be the reason why it turns around. why it turns around so I spent um, me and my wife were like, man, let's go to let's go to Tony Robbins. At this point, I was like, it's not cheap, not cheap, man. I was like, let's go to Tony Robbins, but we got no money. Like we got no, we're already minus a million, and um, <laughs> more, probably one point five, probably one point five, legit. And um, and it's like, okay, so I, I I registered with American Express for a credit card. I got a six thousand dollar credit card. And then I got a loan from Harmony, like a second tier lender, yeah, like 16% yeah. interest. And it's like, man, fuck it, I need to do this. Like, this is ridiculous. This makes no logical sense, but I need to do this. I need to basically learn how to break fear because fear was basically Sheesh. intoxicating me. I was sinking in fear. And, um, and I knew that this was the main thing. This is where that whole psychology kicked in. So I went to Tony Robbins, me and Ali, we did the three day, four day, unleash your power then fucking broke with like borrowed, borrowed borrowed the money went to tony robbins and i came back man i was like i was pumped bro i was just like okay i can do this i can do this i learned tools i learned nlp neuro linguistic programming about how i can um you know if i'm feeling off track how i can click myself back into getting mm. on track i learned that adversity is basically perspective you know, your viewpoint yeah. on life and the situation is all perspective and you can choose whether or not it's a positive or it's mm. a negative. So I started to redefine. And then I also knew that there was an environment, my environment was critical and there was people in me and, and like people that I was around and with that I needed to eliminate while I was going through this season. So I did that and um, it blew me away. And then, um, and then I was like, okay, there is, there is some stuff that I also need to learn. I need to learn about finance and financials. So I went to Tony Robbins, did that. I spent $6,000 or, or sorry, a little bit more, $10,000 on that. Came back, spent another $10,000 to go back to Sydney. So I did Tony Robbins, that was 50 hours in five days. So 10, <laughs> five, 10 hour days in a row. This is while yeah, the, the business was still yeah. pretty fucked. Came, came back to New Zealand, I was like, I need, to, I need to polish up my financial skills. I did a business mastery course in Sydney, went back, spent another $10,000, did that. So more debt just blew me away, you know? And I, since, I, since I was so in debt with it, my, my eagerness to absorb this information was just tenfold, you know? Yeah, I was yeah. the hungriest dude in the room. 
and uh, so learned financials, did the, the crash course, another 50-hour course, um, and, then, uh, and then I came back and then I signed up for the $25,000 course, me and my wife, about redefining and re just weeding out all the issues which I had from when I was a child or which I'd inherited, inherited from my parents or relatives about the way I define certain things because I also knew that as great as my parents were, there were some bad things that I'd inherited that I needed to get rid of. And there's that habit that, there's, sorry, there's that saying that habits are too small to be noticed until they're too too large or too heavy to be unbroken. Mm. And um, I had a lot of bad habits which That's I need good. to undo. So, and then also, while all this shit was going on, my relationship was slipping away, so I had to work on that. Yeah. This is how intense it was, man. And then, so I, I, I spent tens of thousands of dollars of education. I spent thousands of, uh, hundreds of hours of my time working on me. Uh, I doubled down on my health. I did this inc incantations like, you can do this, this yeah, and that. Yeah, I did yeah. the breathing. I did the whole lot. And uh, even to this day, I still do things. And bro, I, 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 I pulled through, man. Like I got, yeah, I started going to church. I started like just completely changing who I am because I mm. knew that I Love Ugly wasn't going to change unless I changed mm. as a person. And that's also something which I, which I highly recommend to everybody else. If things aren't going well for your business, don't necessarily look at the business. Look at yourself and for the skills that you lack or the people that are around you or the mindset which you have and be fucking critical because the more critical you are, the better result and the better chance you are going to have to turn around. So that was my little story of the turnaround and spending <laughs> thousands, tens of thousands Honestly, of dollars. it's a mind-blowing story. Yeah. Well, looking back, man, like, like I had balls. But the crazy thing is, is when you're in these moments, that whole sink or swim moments, mm. you it reveals your true character. Yeah. And I think that at the same time, like you're so thick in it. And as Winston Churchill says, when you're in the thick of it and you're going through hell, keep going. And I was like, man, I'm not going to quit. I, mm. I decided I'm never, ever, ever going to quit. And that was what I decided. And it just meant that I had to do that. I had to do these things. I had to experience this pain, but that kind of, you know, a hundred percent necessary. Mm. And it's often you see these people, you know, these people that, have survived cancer and go on to win these ultra marathons or, you know, where everybody said it's like everything that you put your mind to, anything that you put your mind to, you can make something possible. So I think I achieved, it's, it's obviously not over, but yeah, yeah, man, yeah. it was, it's it, super it was inspiring. Yeah. Just even just hearing that is so yeah. mental. Nah, it's, cheers, man. Well, it's kind of what helped me attract people like yourself. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Mindset, bro. It's absolutely imperative. Definitely, man. And can't recommend personal And that's why you know, it's such an important subject matter and an important philosophy now, which we carry through into Isle of Ugly. And yeah. I think a lot of people can resonate with my story in shape, mm. some shape or form with their own lives. Hard. And um, it's almost an obligation that now that we have to teach and help people to overcome that. And our yeah. product is just a representation of that. So when you wear of a product, hopefully it does empower yeah. people to become better versions of I themselves. I think that story is going to really inspire a lot of people yeah, hearing yeah. that. And then when they kind of um, introspectively look at their own problems, you mm. know, personal development mindset, it's, it's perspective. It's mm. the key to overcoming anything. Absolutely, man. And we That's what they it. say, right? It's 80% psychology, 20% mechanics, 20% doing the work. Yeah. Obviously, you've got to work hard, but working hard, but having a shit psychology, <laughs> shit's going to be tough, man. <laughs> Story number nine, the South Korea license deal. <laughs> Sounds pretty big. Yeah. How did that even come about? We had, um, we got an email from this Korean um, like parent group, thought it, was, thought it was BS, ignored it, and then they hit us, hit us up again about a month later basically saying that they wanted to license I Love Ugly in, in South Korea. And we were like, okay, cool, we'll take the call. Took the call, next minute the guy's like, hey, uh, I wanna come over and chat in person. So he flew over a week later. So we're Whoa. like, okay, this is, this is crazy, this is pretty serious. And then he, um, he came over, we, we had dinner, we discussed it. And basically they had this vision to bring completely reestablished I Love Ugly for South Korea. And that's when at the point where we were saying yes to every opportunity. And you know the old old saying, the man that chases two rabbits catches none. Mm. We were basically chasing every rabbit that we saw and we were miss, you know, thinking we we're gonna miss opportunities, but 
all we were doing was stretching ourselves thin. So we had this guy, he came over and um, it was serious, man. They basically want to invest like a lot, like millions and millions of dollars, set up a whole infrastructure of Isla Ugly in South Korea. And so what year was this? This was 2000, the golden, the, the golden year, yeah. quote unquote, <laughs> um, 2015. And uh, so he came, right. o- he came over, uh, may, might have been 2016, the beginning actually, he came over and um, and then they basically had an Isle of Ugly building in Seoul, which I'd already already uh, nearly purchased. There's going to be an Isle of Ugly store underneath and they're going to roll out three stores within Seoul uh, of Isle of Ugly. And then uh, they wanted me to come over and set up this design team to show, talk, teach the ethos and this and that. And then um, and they placed, a, placed an order and... Yeah, it was February 2016. They placed the order. It was like 50k order, US, no deposit. And then we got the call that they'd been acquired by a big conglomerate, and basically all new acquisitions were basically on, on hold. Nice. And we ended up losing. They did. They didn't pay because they didn't pay a deposit. We ended up losing all that on that stock, and that was the start of the big stock issues which we'd had and whatnot. True. But um, it, yeah. It, so it was. So did you have to still produce the stock, or did yeah, you yeah, send we it? had we had the stock. True. Yeah. So we had to absorb it and dump it in our own market, Oof. put it on sale, sample sales, like outlet stores. Yeah, because you all of a sudden got an influx of fifty k US of product in the market. You can't hold into that. You got to pay for it. And um, I think it was a big lesson as well. Like, you know, as as legitimate as it was and it was happening um man just cover your ass you know for the downsides and the thing is is if we had if we'd received a deposit and we'd got that stock we could have handled it but it was all the other palaver and we just weren't weren't ready for it um i don't think we were ready for it like going over and setting up what do you think would have happened if they didn't get acquired and it went ahead what do you think it would have happened happened yeah but what do you think would have happened to isle of ugly uh it's hard to say other than just becoming massive it's hard to say we would have got massive i think probably who knows they probably could have acquired the whole company yeah true you know if there was a point of time when we were going through a shit we were in talks with hypebeast and hypebeast was going to acquire isle of ugly or 50 percent of it I was talking to Kevin Ma, the CEO and founder of Hypebeast. This is right after they floated on the Hong Kong IPO. Uh, yeah, IPO. And then they, they got the, it was the biggest IPO of 2016, I believe. Like, you know, we probably, because we had, there was a lot of demand and a lot of interest for Isle of Ugly. Yeah, were well, you getting Asia. lots of people like yeah. looking at buying in or buying the whole buying thing? Buying in and offers or partnering or collaborating distributors collaborations just heaps of stuff you know when you're a flavor of a month everybody wants a piece things are easy yeah 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 like you know and the thing is it's like it's not how good you are when it's easy it's how good you are when it's tough yeah you know and i think um and 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 it's yeah so there's yeah there's a lot of opportunities and all this and that and yeah it's a bit of a it's a bit of a strange what could run. have been eh? there's a bit of happened? a blip but that definitely was contributed to the, the tough year that yeah. we had just that excess of stock you know we we're sitting on so much stock our stock you know we had enough stock to last us probably a year and a half whereas our business model was short sharp and quick turnarounds every yeah. month so when you got it if you buy nothing for a year and a half and you got that sitting on your warehouse man you got big problems awaiting awaiting you now story number 10 isn't really a story it's more of a question um and it's just tell everybody what is your favorite moment in i love ugly history hmm. to, if you can pinpoint one yeah yeah to be honest where we are right now today is my favorite true and why is the, that the reason i say that is because we're in control mm. you know we're we're creating a sustainable business, a sustainable brand. We've hit the 10 year mark, 11 year mark, actually. We hit 10 years last year. And the odds of that, you know, people hitting that very is minimal. very minimal, let alone profitable, mm. you know? And we've got to that point and we are- In clothing. Yeah, in clothing. And we're, <laughs> you know, we come, like you, you can testify, we come to work and everybody is, everybody's energized, everybody's yeah. amped, we're, we're clear. And we've got something that's sustainable, you know, and um, and then you know the interest is starting is is coming back. People are people are saying that. Yeah, I always ask myself if I Love Ugly was gone tomorrow, how would, would people miss it? Yeah. And I'm constantly reminding myself that. And you know, we want to build a 
we want to build a legacy and we want to build a brand where if it was gone tomorrow, people would miss the crap out of it. And I think right now we're in an awesome time where things are hard, are still hard. They're only getting harder because the, the gateways to starting a business or starting a brand are easier than ever. Mm. So the competition's more, people's expectations are higher. Um, but for some reason, we, uh, we're just being ourselves. We're being, we're being authentic. We're saying no to mm. most, of, most opportunities because we know that we want to create something that's sustainable and there's no rush. Mm. I think last time I just had this, like, r I had, had this thing with time, like, I need to do it now. Like, yeah. rush, rush, rush. Say yes, yes, yes. It's hard to and say no. It's well. hard to say no because when you've got an opportunity there, it's human tendency just to say, like, there's not going to be any more opportunities. I'll, mm. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. But it's a sign of maturity and also it's a, it's a testament of the clarity and the goals which you have of, of a business to be able to say no even to good opportunities. Like we had recently, you know, someone wanting to open a couple of IRU stores in Sweden and we had, you know, distributors wanting to have us like quite- Yeah, we're getting contacted about that a lot. A lot, yeah. Notable distributors, like reputable distributors that carry some reputable brands wanting to carry us. No, we're not gonna do it because it's not aligned with who we are and where we are as a business. You know, we're a direct-to-consumer brand and I think right now it's like me personally and for what I've gone through and what I've seen, I've seen both sides of a coin. I've seen the, the high times and, and, and I've, you know, I've been through the great times, the shit times, the unsure times and right now we're just in a, a very clear time season and we've got an amazing team, we've got an amazing audience that's like supportive about what we do and we're sharing our story as we go, go along. And when you share, it kind of crystallizes everything you're doing and makes you realize that, man, we're, we're, we're blessed, you know? This is an absolute blessing. And despite all the work that we had to do and put into to turn things around, we, were still, we still had grace on our side. Mm. We still had a little bit of luck and I'm not gonna deny that. Um, so right now, yeah, just looking back at it, holistic, looking on it holistically, it's like, bro, today, where we are now, celebrating his 10 year anniversary. This is the best time, yeah, my favorite time so far. And I'm pumped coming to work, you know? Like, I used to, coming to work used to be a drag, even in the good times, because it was stressful. It was, I was ridden with anxiety. Um, it, was, it was tough, the direction, like we had a million things to do. It was expensive. Uh, we weren't as profitable as we should have been, like, it was risky, we're constantly having bad meetings, whereas none of that, we don't have any of that today. You know, it's all future thinking, forward thinking, it's all positive, it's all high energy, it's all, you know, everyone's got gratitude, we've got an amazing set of people, like it's completely different. Awesome, yeah. there it is, 10 stories, 10 years, I love ugly, <laughs> yeah. it's a wrap. We'll do this another 10, man. Thank you everybody for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and found any type of value, please subscribe to our podcast, share with your friends, and give us a five-star review on iTunes to be in the draw to win a $200 I Love Ugly gift voucher. We will be drawing a winner monthly. Good luck and see you on the next episode.